It is on. My name is Henry Heinen, and at our table, they uh, figured I should formulate the question. And Tad, they didn't dare say it, but there's two things. They wanted to know whether or not you went through circumcision. <coughs> That's not true. And secondly, they wanted to know in terms of you coming from the Far East with a whole different mindset and religious flavor, how you got to, say, the Christian faith, and maybe you could expound on that a little bit for our table's sake and maybe the others. Thank you. Thank you. The uh, answer to the first one is no. Uh, Second one, I am in a rather strange position of being a fourth-generation Christian in Japan, Uh, When my great-great-great-mother, grandmother, became Christian, it was still illegal uh, to become a Christian, so she risked her life to follow the missionary who came in secretly. So um, I don't know whether I am influenced by Japanese culture in my uh, pursuit of Christian truth, I cannot tell. One thing I know for sure is that I'm a detribalized Japanese. A lot of Christians in Japan are detribalized because uh, Christian population is less than 1% of the whole population. Therefore, every time they go out of the home, they face the hostile, often hostile world. Uh, when my wife uh, went to Japan the first time with me, she was amazed how Japanese Christians are so openly declaring their faith, even in a restaurant. They say the grace loudly. Uh, they are quite aware that they're facing different culture. So I come from that uh, background. So I don't know where you could place me in your question. Deborah LeBeau. And my question for you, Tad, is... Do you think that the focus on the genitalia in the art was a intentional, sort of an anti-Semitic move by the churches? Because they certainly influenced the art. I mean, they weren't the artists, but I'm, I think that they might have had some say in the content of the material. And why do you think the church um, fostered that kind of unchristian uh, sentiment? Well, there are people who believe that church did it consciously turning people's opinion against the Jews. I don't believe that. I think it's quite intentional. Uh, If you consider the result of centuries of that kind of practice, it's amazing how long anti-Semitism lasted in the Christian world. It's amazing. It's only recently, only 50 years ago, that 
being anti-Semitist was not in, but in terms of the Roman Catholic Church, officially they denounced that doctrine only 40 years ago. So that kind of uh, intentional effort to distance themselves from Judaism to my opinion is very intentional. Maybe they did not say that. Uh, People often hesitate to talk about genitals. I don't know why. Uh, That's where my cultural background comes from. I remember when the U.S. Army came to Japan to occupy, first thing they did was to prohibit mixed bathing, bathing in hot springs. And we all scratched our head, what's wrong with them? Do they have a dirty mind or something? Uh, probably that could be the problem. So when I raised the question in Ann Diamond's artistry class, no students admitted that they saw the genitals. Nobody. And I knew they were lying. <laughs> Why is it so embarrassing to raise a question? I think it's a North American problem. Uh, if you go to Europe, uh, people who've been to Europe know quite well they're much more open about their bodies. Uh, I think it's a North American problem. I don't know whether that is answering your question, Deb, but... My name is Pano, Pano Kirkanis. We know that Jesus Christ did not start his mission until he was uh, 30 years old. So my question is, uh, during the 30 years old, we know that he was helping his father uh, in carpentry. But was that all? Like, uh, specifically, did he know that he was going to be a leader, a teacher, a miracle maker, uh, or not? And was he preparing for that, or what? Uh, So what was he doing? What was he thinking? before he uh, came uh, 30 years old? My honest answer is I don't know. Uh, I think it's a mystery amongst a lot of uh, biblical scholars that they still don't have the answer. Is that correct, Austin? Uh, Between the age of 12 and 30, uh, we are not sure what he did. We don't know. Does that answer my your question? Hi, uh, I'm Ian McKenna. Um, it was in the 15th century. Um, the uh, church in Spain, well, the, the, the whole the Vatican and also Spain. Uh, in Valladolid, decided, uh, had to decide whether uh, indigenous people from South America were human beings or not. And it was a big uh, issue, and it was decided they weren't. And I just wonder the extent to which that, going down the ages, 
accounts for the racism that is rampant against Aboriginal people in the Americas and and and, and in other places. Um, you know, so it takes it perhaps far beyond uh, Judaism. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that, Tad. Thank you, Ian. I think it's quite widespread. Uh, as I mentioned uh, towards the end of my talk, I mentioned the mark of Cain. The king is the one who killed his brother. Therefore, God told him that all of your offsprings will be permanently marked, which a lot of racist views in the church determine that the mark must be non-white pigment. So this is the quite widespread ideas. Uh, so it's not just against the Jews, but anybody whose skin is not as pale as it should be was termed as person with the mark of Cain. I don't know where that interpretation came from. It looks uh, quite a forced argument to me. Another interesting example is when Charles Darwin came to South America and a famous voyage. One of the native tribes offered him food. A lot of uh, uh, crews from that ship, including Charles Darwin himself, could not eat it because they thought it was disgusting. The kind of food that uh, all the civilized people should be eating. The reason was very interesting. They rejected the food they were offered not because they were full and didn't have appetite, didn't look quite nice, smelled terrible, none of those. They looked actually looked quite delicious apparently. They rejected the food because it was offered by a native person's hand. Not because they didn't know that those hands were washed or not. It was a fact that native person offered the food itself is disgusting. You see the difference? It's a racial thing. Food must be offered by someone who is acceptable in your culture. Native person cannot offer food to European person. This is quite well recorded. Even Charles Darwin, who is the founder of modern day science, could not accept the food because it was offered by a native person. While saying this, to point out that this kind of racism quite was quite widespread. Amy Dodek. I have uh, no doubt that our imperialistic faith systematically was anti-Semitic. However, um, I have a few thoughts that might shoot down your penis as proof theory. Uh, Michelangelo, who is a favorite of mine, had a particular bevy of male models that he used a lot. 
And you'll see in his paintings of the Sistine Chapel and uh, the Gates of Moses and things that his women are this same man with breasts put on top. So uh, the thought that he had a certain physique, even this David who is supposed to be a boy, he used the same model, made his hands bigger, his head bigger to make him boyish. So I think that's something that Michelangelo did. And his probably his own personal notion of beauty was an uncircumcised penis, and he knew penises quite well. <laughs> <laughs> He was homosexual. Um, also, uh, Jews being non-iconographic, they don't... I, I can't imagine a good Jew posing for a, an, a biblical sculpture. So that's another thought, that perhaps having no models that were circumcised that would give their bodies up for that. That's a possibility. And uh, thirdly, w w the magi that are staring into his penis each time, this is just a thought that um, they're showing respect by making sure their head is lower than the baby's head because that, you know, they always talked about that with kings and whatnot, that you have to, you have to be lower than your lord or whatever. So, because that just bothers me to think <laughs> that the artists would purposefully work at painting them looking hard at the penis. So it could be, couldn't it? <laughs> I agree, Amy. Uh, it's a matter of interpretation. Uh, I adopted... The view I read from my text from Leo Steinberg, uh, who was art historian at the University of Pennsylvania. So it's up to you to interpret. But I've seen too many same poses, just too many, to deny that they were looking at something which is not there. Uh, but it's up to... What was the second question, Amy? I wanted to answer that. <laughs> oh, you are wrong. I know you are wrong there. Because most of the slaves that Italy had during those days were Arabs, Moors, the Muslims. Surely... Italians must have seen these Moors naked, live, or dead. Surely they've seen circumcised penis, even though Jews did not expose themselves. They must have seen Arabs and their bodies. So I am quite convinced that they knew how circumcised penis looked like. But thank you for your question. Um, Dad, thank you for your... Uh, I'm Douglas Mitchell, as you know. Um, I'm not an artist, so I'd like to change gears. You started off your talk mentioning terror, and you finished by talking about power and domination. It's interesting uh, about the Israeli situation as it is, stands now and how it was 
prior to the creation of the State of Israel. I don't know if you'd like to comment on that, because I was in Jerusalem the day the Haganah blew up the King David Hotel and killed 60-odd British officers. And uh, at that time, they were trying to establish that they'd been forgiven for that, I think. And uh, there was no international court of justice, so there was no uh, retribution for them. And now we are in a totally different situation where the uh, Jews and the Palestinians are at loggerheads. And I wonder, in terms of how do we resolve this this whole issue, and uh, how do we get get people to the table to to rectify these things? Thank you, Douglas. I know another soldier who survived that bombing. Was it 1948? 46. And uh, those uh, uh, people who blew up the King David Hotel, two of them became Prime Minister of Israel. Uh, however, I don't take current situation of conflict between Israelis and Palestinians as a religious war nor ethnic conflict or anything like that. I consider State of Israel as a bridgehead of Western capitalism. It's a very handy way to use it. And uh, some of the readings I was doing just last night is saying, you never know how long State of Israel will last. That's a very dangerous thing to say. But you know, how long did the British Empire last it? For 100 years? But still, empire disappeared. How long will the United States as an empire could exist? And this man is a Jewish scholar saying, state of Israel may come and go, but it all depends on the uh, atmosphere of people but Jews will never disappear so long as they're this tradition. And I can believe that. Uh, But I think Western capitalism is making use of the state of Israel as a bridgehead into the Middle East. And I don't think they will succeed. That worries me to no end because... My son-in-law, I love him very much, and my son-in-law's mother, who is uh, born in kibbutz in, in Israel, they love State of Israel. I really, really worried for them because the way they are behaving today is not is not creating secure future of State of Israel. I would like to have secure future of the state of Israel guaranteed. But the way it is behaving, following the right-wing policy, almost as bad as George Bush's policy, is not leading them to secure future. That's what I'm more worried about. 
since uh, this is quite away from the subject matter, since you asked the question, here's my answer. Hi, Tad. Henning Mundell is my name. I've got sort of a three-prong question. One adds to the debate with Amy. Where are you, Amy? And that is the fact, uh, and your, your response to that aspect of hers, that you're sure that the artists uh, knew what Jews and Muslims looked like. If you take Spain, 1492, the year that Columbus came to uh, uh, discover the Americas, was the year when the Inquisition was at its peak. The Jews and Moors were kicked out of Spain. There were no more. So the artists wouldn't have a chance to see anymore. And not only that, at that time, the uh, Spanish government had something which the Nazis, I'm sure, copied from them, that in order to get a government senior position, in order to become a conquistador, to be able to go to the New World, you needed to prove for at least four generations back that you had no Jews in your ancestry. Okay, so that is adding to that debate that at least from Spain part, they may not have actually seen what circumcised males looked like. Then the other thing is about your comment about the misogynism of the uh, religious artists of the Renaissance. Are we to believe that artists like Titian, Rubens, who even uh, we have an adjective, Rubenesque, or uh, Botticelli, that beautiful 1485 painting of the birth of Venus, um, that they were not religious people? And uh, thirdly... This is Botticelli. Okay. But, I mean, he also painted the birth of Venus, a naked woman. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and thirdly, what about the art in between, uh, in the first 1,500 years uh, of our era? I have no answer, Henning. I'm not an artist. I'm just a retired preacher. And I just uh, attended a couple of uh, art history class and write a book, uh, even though professor encouraged me to pursue the subject. I don't have a Latin. I failed Latin when I was in seminary. Uh, I'd like to uh, find out all these questions. Uh, in Spain, they may not have seen uncircumcised penis, but in Italy, I don't accept that because there are too many m slaves who are more at the time. Uh, Rubens and other artists and uh, misogynistic attitude, I disagree with you. They were typical medieval male. They didn't consider women to be perfect human beings. I'm convinced of that. And uh, it could be chicken and egg thing. Church taught them that, or they believe that first. Therefore, they accepted the church's teaching. I don't know. But I th I'm convinced that male chauvinism is very, very prevalent in the church, in the whole of the society, until recently, even today, how many churches are there that deny equal rights to women? Where does it come from? It's very deep. Our last questioner. 
Our last question will be Mark. Hi, Mark Sandy Lance here. Um, I was going to begin my question by uh, saying that most of the discussion has been about anti-Semitism, but I, I see now it has come back to misogyny. And uh, you, you began your uh, piece by uh, your lecture by talking about the misogyny in uh, the uh, Christian churches, um, going back perhaps even uh, to uh, prior to the uh, the uh, two thousand years ago. Um, I have been reading recently uh, a book and writings by a woman named Rianne Eisler who talks about uh, our current economic systems which are domination-oriented as opposed to something that she recommends as partnership-oriented where we focus on the children and so on. Can you point to some of the, the information from uh, prior to the arrival of Christ or Jesus or Yahshua um, that showed the, the misogyny and how far back does it go in uh, the, the uh, uh, Judeo-Christian tradition? I don't know, Mark. Uh, I have no answer. I, like I said, I'm just a retired preacher who just read a book to prepare this. Uh, can anybody in the audience who are feminist, strident feminists, answer that question? Uh, I don't know. I can answer. <laughs> um, we know that Jesus had um, many followers who were women and um, apparently even disciples and apostles who were women. I'm looking here. <laughs> right, from the, right from the very beginning, and most of those are not acknowledged in current-day Christianity. So I don't know where they disappeared Maybe others in the room would know where, where they uh, uh, were no longer uh, given, given the same credence as the male apostles. But I do know that that did happen. Thank you. Let's all thank Tad for his uh, talk today.